Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. Our scripture today comes from Isaiah 9, verse 1 through 2. But there will be no gloom for those who were in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt of the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, But in the later time, he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in the darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. This is the word of God for the people of God. I determined we do not pay our staff enough. Um, not only for their many talents that they have, but also what we asked them to do. That was kind of the Christmas carol, Do You Hear What I Hear, which is the, the theme of the sermon series we are going to be engaging with throughout Advent, looking at some of those classic Christmas carols and those songs that we might sing in church, we might hear on the radio, we might even be shopping and hear them over the loudspeaker, but do we really know the theology or what they say about God or what we are adopting about God when we sing these meaningful songs. Um, The praise band led us in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which is like the only Advent actual song that people know, uh, anticipating this uh, imagery from Isaiah, Emmanuel, God with us. And we're going to get into uh, the Isaiah passage that William read for us. What's interesting is that Emmanuel used in Isaiah Um, which is going to be a theme through the sermon, is given to a people in great need and great despair. Um, In the beginning of Isaiah, it's mentioned multiple times the name Emmanuel, God with us, that God is going to come walk with us through hard times, through dark times, into places of greater greater hope, greater light. Um, What I'm interested in is where God chose to be with us, at least in the beginning of Jesus' life, as this little town of Bethlehem. The song that we sing, it's not really on anybody's top ten list necessarily, but a little town of Bethlehem has this really rich imagery to it. And I remember um, between seventh and eighth grade year, my church decided to take a pilgrimage to Israel. So my parents thought it was a great idea to take me and my brother along. We went to Israel, and so uh, we're staying in Jerusalem, and we're taking this six-mile bus trip um, to, uh, to Bethlehem um, on windy mountainous roads. If you've ever been to Israel, you know that um, not only can you fit one passenger bus on a one-lane road, you can fit two construction vehicles, a passenger bus, and another vehicle on a one-lane road. And so after this treacherous drive through the mountains to get to Bethlehem, um, I really had these expectations of everything you sing about in O Little Town of Bethlehem, how still and sleepless, uh, this is a dark, dreary town, little village in, in Sunday school, and any videos you see about the birth of Jesus on VeggieTales or whatever— It's just this really small country outpost um, that you go to. And I expected that we were going to go 
to the site of Jesus' birth, or the supposed site of Jesus' birth, we were going to walk in, and there was just magically going to be animals in a, in a barn, and everything was going to be exactly like the flannel graphs that we had used in Sunday school uh, a long time ago. And instead, I got there, and I see this. I, I tell you, I was the most disappointed seventh grader in the entire world to see that much gold. Um, if, you, if you head to the beginning, there's more gold in there than Fort Knox. Uh, in, in most of the, the sanctuaries in Israel that, uh, so this is the church of the nativity, that there is eventually a small narrow staircase that you have to be in pretty good shape to fit down um, to go into this cave where supposedly Jesus was born. And it's the only plain thing in the entire, in the entire church. It's very, very bare, very meager, uh, but the, the rest of the church is, is very opulent. And I expected this small, tiny village. Instead, you get Bethlehem, which is it looks like this. Now, this is a great tourist site shot that shows you a bustling city. It's not that big. It's only actually 25,000 people. And to put that in perspective, um, Sherman is 43,000 people. And when is the last time any of you went to Sherman for a good time? I mean, how do people from Dallas talk about Sherman? That's the way that people from Jerusalem talked about Bethlehem. Bethlehem at that point was only about 300 people, maybe 1,000 people at its max. During the census, perhaps people were coming back. Bethlehem was a backwater small town. It was everything I actually thought it was, and not what it has become. Um, it means, Beth, the name Bethlehem means house of bread, and so they were an agricultural community that would ship their grain and their bread to Jerusalem for the higher-ups and the more elite people, uh, elite classes to enjoy and engage. So nobody really cared about Bethlehem. That whole line from uh, later in Luke that would say, what good can come out of Nazareth? Well, what good can come out of Bethlehem must have also been on the minds of these people. And Philip Brooks was a Presbyterian pastor in 1865 who took a similar experience to the Holy Land where he got on a horse in Jerusalem on Christmas Eve night and rode from Jerusalem to Bethlehem on horseback so that they could have this arrival experience into the little town of Bethlehem and the triumphant coming of Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, born in this city. And he said he was expecting this great sense of spiritual victory uh, to arrive over him. And instead, he walked into this deep and dreamless, sleepy town where there wasn't a single light on in the entire village, and there was just almost this ghost town feel to it. There's this imagery in Job, uh, in, the, in the book of Job, that talks about when the morning stars sang together and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy. It's this imagery that has been used to talk about angels, watcher angels that are stars in the night sky. And, and the imagery and the, the uh, imagination of the early Hebrew people was that these, these angels were passing by as they saw the stars go by and they were singing and rejoicing at all that God had created in the world, that all that God was doing in the world, there was, a, there was a theme of jubilation that the angels were singing. And so yet in Philip's interpretation of Bethlehem as a still and a sleepy town, even the, uh, in the deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. There's this imagery in Bethlehem that not a lot's going on. It is not the place you look to for hope. It is not the place with riches and power and status. It is not the place you go to for a great time and good feelings. It is a dark, dreary, sleepy town. Yet in the dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. I was scrolling through Facebook um, a few 
days ago, a couple, maybe a week ago, I guess now. And um, you know how they pop, if you're on Facebook, they pop up memories. Like you posted this three years ago, four years ago. Most of the time it's like your kid when they were seven years old or something and you think my kid used to be cute at one point. Um, and, and it reminds you of that. Um, this was a little bit more serious and it was a woman who was proclaiming victory um, saying that four or three years ago she posted about her first anniversary of being sober. Um, this is a woman that, that is in our community who I remember getting that phone call from her husband who called and just said, I don't know what else to do. We're at our, our darkest place. And normally when I get the phone call, it's already gotten to the dark place. Normally I don't get the perfunctory phone call of, hey, we think we might have a problem. Normally I get the, we need a miracle uh, phone call and come and ask for prayers. And, and so we were able to get um, this woman the help that she needed to overcome this disease and this addiction to alcohol that she was suffering from. And, and she was posting this victory. But as she was posting and recounting this victory over alcohol, as she's still sober, thank God, um, she was remembering the hope that she saw in the one person who still didn't give up on her, that knew. And it was her husband. Her husband, her, her kids had largely kind of wondered what was wrong with mom, and they were, they were little, um, but her husband had really had hope that, that this woman was not the same woman that he used to know, and this woman was different. But inside, behind all of that, he could see the spark and the light of the woman that he fell in love with, and the woman he had kids with, and the woman that he knew she still was behind the disease of addiction to alcohol. And so uh, we got her that help, and, and praise be to God, she is still on this great path, and, and she has recovered that spark. And it was just Another sign to me, another indication to me that sometimes all it takes is one light in the midst of the darkness. In a dark, dreary, sleepy town when we have deep and dreamless nights. The, the words of the, the hymn are deep and dreamless sleep. It means there's nothing going on. There's no hope, no activity there. But in the deep and dreamless sleep, there is still an everlasting light. Now, on Advent, even when we light one candle, one candle is enough to drive out darkness. And sometimes all it takes is one light. Now when we look at Isaiah, the passage that uh, William read for us, it talks about that my people who are in darkness saw a great light. And Isaiah is a prophet, and Carrie Lynn did a masterful job last week of describing how prophets were truth-tellers of God who came in. And normally when a prophet came in uh, to tell the truth, you were not doing something well. Uh, things were not going right. Things were not going well in your community or in your own life. And a prophet would come and give God's truth to you. And often it is interpreted, or we, we think of prophets in the Bible as delivering these kind of Jonah to Nineveh doomsday prophecies. But with what she said was, with that comes the hope. With that comes some good news that flows out. And so I want you to look at a lot of the rest of Isaiah chapter 9. It says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For all the boots of the tramping warriors and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of the hosts will do this. 
Now, whether you're reading from Micah or Nahum or Obadiah or uh, Matthew or Luke or any of the, the prophets, when you read the words of Paul, when you see Jesus teach on the Sermon on the Mount, right, there's usually something where you can read in the context that something right is not happening. And Isaiah is written over three different times, three different conflicts. It's not even collected in sequential chronological order, so it can be really hard to read. We don't know which one of these conflicts this has to do with, but what we see is that not only are, it, it's not just the message that things aren't going well, it is the message that when things aren't going well and when there doesn't seem to be hope, there will be a child born. And often in Scripture, um, in Scripture and, and in other, other sources as well, historical, that the uh, assumption is if a child is allowed to be born, then God still has plans for that child. And if God still has plans for that child, it means there is a future and it means there is a hope. And so a little child shall be born to us. This one is obviously a little bit more important than we interpret this to be a prophecy about Jesus coming into the world. But if a child is allowed to be born in the midst of Isaiah's uh, and in, really in Second Chronicles, all the bad kings, the good kings, the conflicts, everything that happened. If a child is allowed to be born, it means there's at least one light. It means there's at least one hope, at least one good thing to grab onto. And I just got done with a class full, or a, a group of uh, fifth and sixth graders online doing Sunday school. And, and we were talking about this and talking about times when they felt lost or felt sad or felt lonely. And, and then we just said, well, of all the times when you feel like life is hard, what's the one thing that you can look to for hope. You know, they said their family, their cats, their pets, their dogs, their teachers, their friends. Right? Isaiah tells us that as long as there's one hope, there's one hope, there's one candle in the darkness. If there's one candle, then there cannot be darkness. And what Isaiah really says is that that candle of hope is God. Because God never grows tired of hearing our prayers. God never overlooks human suffering and hurting. God never loses sight of God's promise toward us. And ultimately, in all the voices in Scripture of people who are oppressed at the, the plunderings of the rich or who are thirsty for righteousness and hunger for righteousness but have given up on humanity seeking for righteousness, they've lost hope in the world, they feel like they can only be meek. They feel like their experience is only as meek as somebody is forcing them to be. And ultimately we get to Jesus' words, however, which say, the meek shall inherit the earth. The ones who are without a light, the ones who are without a hope, the ones who are muddling through darkness, those are the ones who will inherit the earth because they are often the ones who are not blinded by the other shining lights of the world, but they can see the still everlasting light in the midst of the dark streets of Bethlehem as the light that shines everlasting, the light that doesn't have to be renewed, the light that, that does not fade away. And I want you to see where this comes from. Look at the end of Isaiah. It says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Right, Isaiah tells us that God does not grow tired of hearing our prayers. God does not overlook the things that hurt us. God is not absent from us. Isaiah uses the, the word Emmanuel that means God with us. It means the zeal of the Lord does this. It does not matter our size or our stature or our strength or our position in life. God does not overlook us. In fact, God sees us more, I think, when we're hurting, when we're lonely, and we feel lost in the world. God comes to us especially in the deep and dreamless sleeps in the dark and dreary nights, in the places where no one would ever expect hope. 
and we find the glimmers. As long as there's one, as long as there's one light, then darkness cannot win. A few months ago, we started, uh, started acolyting again in the traditional service. We had some kids who were interested. And, and so on Communion Sundays, we started acolyting. And acolytes, if you don't know what they are, they bring the light of Christ in. They light the candles. And at the end, they take the light of Christ out in the world. We're supposed to follow the light of Christ out into the world so that we can be the light of Christ in the world. And it was um, two young girls, uh, Danny and Cassie Huntsman, and they did a great job. Um, they did a really fantastic job. But as they got done with the whole service and they were in the back, um, Cassie looked at Danny and goes, oh my gosh, I was so scared. And, and Danny looks back at Cassie and goes, I was scared too, but you know what? God was with us. Right? The hopes and fears of all the years are gathered here tonight. In thy dark street shineth an everlasting light. I remember about a decade ago, there was a young man named Ben Means. Um, ben was uh, one of my kids. Uh, he was a junior high kid at, at Oak Grove United Methodist Church in Atlanta, where I was serving as the assistant youth minister there. And he had just finished through the confirmation process. Confirmation being that confirming of faith of, of young people who have had God's grace spoken into them, knowing God's grace is active in them in baptism, but confirming that their faith is their own. It's not their parents' choice. It's not us pressuring them into it. It's them standing in front of the church and saying, this is something I believe, and this is something I want to be a, a part of. And so, like we do here, um, we had kids, uh, kids, young men, young women, who um, were asked to make that choice, you know, whether they wanted to do it or not. So we had mentors, and the, and the kids, uh, kids, the young men and women, sorry, um, all went uh, with their mentors, and they were praying and talking through this decision. Some of them, it was really easy, and they got done really fast. And we noticed that most of everybody had left. They'd kind of turn in their card with their name on it, saying, yep, I'm going to get firm tomorrow. And, and slowly straggling in comes Ben. And Ben kind of meekly shuts the door behind him and uh, talks to Matt, the head youth minister at the time, and, and said, um, uh, guys, I don't, I, don't, I don't think I'm ready for this. Um, and... And he just starts crying. And so Matt says, you know, Ben, Ben, what are you worried about? What are you, what are you afraid of? He says, I, I don't think that if, if I don't get confirmed, I don't think y'all are going to want me here anymore. It, it's kind of like, you know, everybody else is going through this smooth process, and they all kind of know what they want to do with their life, and they all kind of have their faith figured out. And I just, I'm just not there. I've just got a lot of questions, and I just don't think y'all are going to want me here anymore. And, 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 Matt said, well, so Ben, just, just humor me here. Um, in all that you've learned in confirmation, from Bethlehem and the birth to Jerusalem and the crucifixion unto Emmaus and the resurrection, like, who did Jesus hang out with the most? He goes, in Ben's words, he goes, the losers of the world, right? Those people who just couldn't get it right. And he goes, okay, yeah. So the people that needed healing, the people who needed someone to be a friend with, the people who needed called out of a tree so that they could have dinner with Jesus that night, right? Jesus hung out with, with all of the least and all of the lost and all of the people who just didn't seem to fit in well. And, and Ben, are you afraid of that guy? And, and Ben goes, no, no, Jesus seems really cool. I just, I just have so many questions. And, and Matt said, well, well Ben, if, if we're the church of that guy, what do you have to be afraid of in the way that we would kick you out, that we would treat you? Ben said, well, I don't, I don't guess I have anything to be afraid of. And Matt said, that's all I want to hear. Is that the hopes and fears of all the years 
might at least still come to this place and find the light that shines in the darkness. The hopes and fears of all the years are gathered in thee tonight. And the hopes and fears of all the years are gathered in this place tonight. In our congregation, it is uh, people who um, get divorced and feel like they're the only one who's ever experienced that. And they don't want to come back to church solo by themselves because they're afraid of what people might think. It's the gentleman who suffers from online addiction who doesn't think people are ever going to be able to see past that addiction to see that there is a real hurting person inside. It is the, the person who lost their spouse and they don't know what it looks like to come and be a church member without their the, being a couple anymore. There are hopes and fears that are gathered in young people who are, who are trying to be perfect for a society that says they need to be perfect and accomplished and have a resume a mile long before they're a freshman in high school. It is the hopes and fears gathered around our community and in this place. And it sometimes inspires darkness where it feels like we just can't find the light in the world, but in the deep and dreamless sleep, in this little town where no one expects hope, in the dark streets shineth the everlasting light. What we see in the song, what we learn from Isaiah, is that as long as there is one light that we can find, then there is a future for us. If there is a glimmer of hope at all, it means that darkness will not win. And what I want to tell you is that even if you can't find that hope, God is doing the hoping for you. God is the hope for the hopeless. And it doesn't matter for our strength, our size, our stature in life. It is God's zeal that is hoping for us. It is God's zeal that continues to provide light around in the world. It is God's zeal that provides opportunities of inspiration and sparks no matter how small they may be as Bethlehem or no matter how big they may be as Jerusalem, God is continuously working to fulfill the promise and goodness that God intended for us in creation, in creating a people, and today. Because in that dark street shineth an everlasting light. And it is a light that will not be put out. It is a light in the person of Jesus that we claim and we say is the Savior of our world, born as a child. And very intentionally, a child in the smallest clan, the little clan of Judah. A child who, if a child is born, allows there to be hope in the smallest of places so that even the meekest among us might know through the small child who comes in a small town that we will inherit the earth. That we have hope and that we have a promise. Let's pray. Lord God, we know you do big things through small packages. We know that even a glimmer of light still drives away the darkness. So God, open our eyes to see and our ears to hear, our hands to feel, our eyes, uh, our minds to sense the silver linings to a cloud, the, the glimmer of light of the person reaching out to us, the glimmer of hope that we see in the small places because we know, Lord, that you do not overlook human suffering. In fact, you have said that you are God with us and you will walk with us through any of the dark places, any of the dark times, because it is the hopes and fears that we bring to you in faith and trust. 
that in the dark streets there will shine an everlasting light. God, may the impending light of a full Advent wreath give us hope for the fullness of your glory here on this earth. But for today, God, may that one candle shine brightly into our lives that we might see the glimmer on the horizon that keeps us strong, that keeps us going, that tells us that you are with us. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.